Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Steve Peasley listens to your questions. This is Kevin calling from Lacazette, California, kind of planning ahead for the future, thinking of establishing primary residence in a state with no state income tax. And provides unbiased answers. Good question, though, a good thought process, and always good to look forward. I think there's only what seven or nine states that have no income tax. Invest Talk, over 42 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888.99 Chart. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is InvestTalk, independent thinking, shared success. InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Financial President, Financial Advisor, Steve Peasley. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. It is Thursday, June 16, 2022. I'm Steve Peasley, and I thank you for joining me today in this uh, broad podcast and radio show. Um, I enjoy hearing your financial questions. This is what we do. We answer questions. We try to give you the straight, honest, you know, facts of what's going on and answer those things that maybe you don't know that you need to know. And you need to know a lot of information at this point. I'm always careful with my answers. I don't want them to be biased in any way. And, of course, it's very difficult to be unbiased, but I can try, okay, and I really do. I don't have any hidden agendas, as I've said every day. I'm not trying to push anything on you. That's not our style. In fact, all the questions are yours. You drive the show. You take us in the direction you want to do. The only thing I ask is that we we keep it financial, okay? And it's my goal to help you understand what's going on. Because I read constantly. I don't know if you know that, but I read constantly about the economy, about the Fed, about the politics that might affect the stock market, on and on and on and on. This is what I do. And so I'm hoping that I have knowledge that you could use, and I want to share it. But it's your questions that take us in the direction. Many questions are stock questions. That's okay. I don't have a problem with that. So long as it's all financial. I can say for sure, today's investing is a lot different than it used to be just a year ago. For the last 10, 15, 20 years, the investing today, the environment that you're in, is extremely different. It has changed. You have to recognize the change. The change is no longer are we lowering interest rates, our QE and easing, quantitative easing. We're now quantitative tightening. That's going to last a little while. No longer debt is now going to be a problem. No longer can companies borrow money just willy-nilly because it's so cheap, it's no big deal. 
Now, all that money they borrowed, any companies that borrowed money, costs of that borrowed money are going to skyrocket. And it's going to put a lot of weak companies out of business. So be prepared for that. Need to, so your portfolio, your stocks, you're going to hear me and Justin talk about, yeah, it's got a lot of debt. I'd be very careful when people call ask about stocks with lots of debt. Got to be careful of debt. Debt is bad. And it, how how are we going to do with how are we going to deal with this inflation? You know what the Fed's doing? They're raising interest rates to kill inflation. But is that going to kill the economy too? And that's going to be one of our that's, that is going to be a main discussion point today. Okay, we're going to talk about that in depth. I invite your phone calls right now. Ask any questions as long as it's financial. Our number is the same every day. Eight 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 ninety nine chart. So let's get right to our first question. Yeah, hello, Steve and Justin. My name's David from Portland. I was just going to ask you what your take is on United States Steel, ticker symbol X. I just bought it at $24 a share. Thank you very much. I listen to your podcast all the time. Thank you. I would be very careful uh, with this stock. Uh, even They're going to make $10.59 this year, and it's a $19 stock. But next year, the estimate is for $3.64. Okay, so you got to be really, really careful. Why is that? Because your environment is changing, okay? The environment is changing. We're going from an economy that's growing pretty good, probably to an economy that's going to go into recession, even though not too many people are talking about the R word. The Fed thinks they can prevent it, and I don't think the Fed can you know, I think we're going to recession. Well, what does that help? hurt? Very cyclical stocks. United States Steel Corporation, symbol X, is a very cyclical stock. Manufactures flat-rolled flat tubular steel products for the automotive container construction appliance markets. So it had always had, any steel companies always had very low PEs. If you look at it and you look at the sales growth and you say, man, this has got to be, this is really cheap. It's a $5 billion company doing over $5 billion a quarter. So the price to sales ratio is very low. The P.E. ratio based on next year's earnings is what, five? So the return on equity is really good at 60%. Cash flow is $17.51. They do not have a lot of debt. Those are all good things. Okay, but it's the cycle. I think, you know, I think you want to be away from very cyclical type stocks. Away from. Okay, so, so I, I, would, I wouldn't be a buyer of this company. I would not. I would exit it. I would. Okay, let's go to Gene in North Carolina. Hi, Gene. Hey, Steve. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you. I had a question about money market rates. Yes. With the Fed increasing their uh, the, the Fed rate, mm-hmm. all the other rates kind of move up slowly. Now, right. money there are money market mutual funds, and there are money markets funds that are offered um, accounts that are offered by banks, and of right. course, banks also offer uh, short-term CDs. certificate CDs, uh, three month or six month, and so right. forth. Why it always seems that the money market mutual funds their rates seem to move up or the slowest or the least amount 
Now, I understand that mutual funds, there, there's a hidden uh, administrative a fee. fee, but why right. is that so? Why is it? You'll know compared, that, compared to bank right. money market funds. Okay, well, the banks can do it directly because, remember, they're the ones that are actually borrowing the money directly from the Fed and lending it out to people. So they, they, they're a little bit more nimble. Mutual funds, uh, you know, they can be nimble too, but they have overhead costs that the banks cover by their loan departments and different part, you know, different income sources, not just money markets. And the bank is, needs to and wants to attract money. So they'll always probably be a better rate from the bank directly than the money markets. They're all are slow to raise their rates. They are um, very slow to lower. They're pretty fast to, uh, um, to get that money out. But now money's going to start being tightening so they're not in a big rush. I, I don't think they're going to – they will increase the rates, are going to increase the rates, but I don't think the banks, the CDs and money market are going to be are going to be pretty slow in giving you a return, you know, because they don't want to. They want to keep their money. You know, simple as that. Greed drives everything. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Um, it's uh, it's an Invest Talk Thursday. Justin Klein is on vacation this week, or later this week, anyways. I'm Steve Peasley, and we're moving into a break. But I'm here on duty, ready to answer your questions. So give me a call, 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. Now, each time I host the Invest Talk podcast, I have the satisfaction of taking caller questions and then breaking down the often complex dynamics involved. If you've never called, don't hold back. You can leave your Invest Talk questions on the 24 7 anytime listener line at 888 99Chart. 888 Now, my focus point today is based on this story the U.S. has experienced. At least 30 recessions, 30 of them throughout history, dating back to 1857. So, are recessions inevitable? I'm going to have to say yes to that question. I'll let you know that right now. But is it going to be inevitable this time? Doesn't have to be. So, we're going to get into that, okay? Um, I also want to talk about mortgage rates. They jumped significantly. 30-year fix did. Um, Also... um, Interesting little side note, have you been keeping track at all about the boat industry? Boats. Boats. Sales and construction of boats. And finally, um, did you see oil prices? Oil prices fell. 
down to $112 a barrel. Okay, $112. Do you know what the high was? You know, oil has been a big driver of inflation. Oil. Is it going to continue to be a big driver? Does it look like it's topped? Is that going to, you know, is 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 the oil industry recognizing the Fed's effort to kill inflation and therefore by by slowing the economy, therefore having uh, less demand for oil and therefore prices come down? Hmm. That's 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 one of that's interesting. My trivia question today concerns one of the original twelve members of the Dow Jones Industrial Average and its famous founder, Jones. Dow. Dow Jones. <laughs> that's coming up at the halfway point of the podcast. So how did the market do today? Yeah, the NAS the Dow was down seven hundred and forty one points or three point two seven percent or three point three seven percent. The NAS the Nasdaq down 453 points, down 4%. And then the S&P down 123, down 3.25%. So we're still in our pretty strong bear market. That up day yesterday was all gone. And now more onto the downside today. More than the upside that we had yesterday. The up trading day was killed today. And what was it? It was up uh, yesterday. The market was up... What, 300 points for the Dow? I think that's what it was. Today it's down 700. So it's been pretty, it's been pretty, we're definitely in a bear market. We can finally say that we reach bear market territory. Um, and how deep is it going to go? How deep? Do you remember we talked about, oh, I don't know how long ago, but not that long ago, about the average depth of the bear market, of a bear market? It was in the 30, low 30s percent, mid 30s, something like that. Did how much, uh, we're down what, 22% for the S&P 500? We're close to 40% for gross stocks. And for value stocks, we're only down about 10%. Did you know that? You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hello, this is Bill from Atlanta, and I wanted to thank you for your podcast. Today, I have a question concerning I-bonds. I was looking for some type of stable investment to put some cash in rather than just keeping it in a low-interest-bearing savings account. In the past, I would put it in a CD. However, CDs aren't paying anything these days, and during my Search, I came across I-bonds on the treasury.gov website. I don't know much about all about bonds and nothing about I-bonds. I saw on the treasury.gov website that it states I-bonds are paying 7.12% for the first six months, and then after the, that, the returns are somehow calculated off the current inflation rate. This caught my attention and wanted to ask if I'm reading this correctly. The only thing that jumps out at me is it says you're limited to $10,000 investment per year. Again, any knowledge you can give to me concerning what I-bonds actually are and how they work is greatly appreciated. Thanks, and I look forward to your next podcast. All right. Well, uh, this is a, a more common question uh, these days, especially as now I-bonds are yielding uh, a decent amount because inflation is going up. And that's what I-bonds do. Uh, they calculate twice a year based on the inflation rate and what the yields are going to be. Now, there is a... a, a Previous episode, if you want to head over to our website and just uh, and browse and, and find uh, the, the show 
sometime in the last six months, I believe we had one uh, really focusing on this in depth. Uh, but one thing uh, you should definitely understand, like you said, $10,000 min- uh, is it the most you can invest uh, each year, as well as that yield resets. And so while it might look like a high yield today, if inflation moderates, goes back to 1% or so, then you are also going to ride that yield down as well. So um, there's nothing wrong with having this as a part of your portfolio. Understand it's also not nearly as liquid. Um, You have to hold them for at least 12 months. And I believe if you don't hold them for uh, five years total, uh, there's penalties and things like that. So uh, there's a lot more details, like I said, that we, we we discussed in a previous podcast. I would go look for that on iTunes or wherever you're looking uh, for for your, our show. Um, but definitely interesting to have as part of a portfolio, but understand the pros and the cons. If you just go to treasurydirect.gov, um, there are some uh, g- great, really simple information there. Uh, and that's going to really tell you everything you need to know. So um, I hope that that helps in some way. And I think everyone should be looking into this as maybe a part of their overall portfolio, but it has to be right for the right person. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Your rating is a vote of confidence that leads to higher visibility and causes more people to discover and listen to Invest Talk. So please tell your friends and family members about the free Invest Talk downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Remember to include your brief question when you review and rate on iTunes. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24-7. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. Okay, let's talk to Mark in the Bay Area. How you doing, Mark? Uh, hi, thank you very much. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, dumb question, when you were talking about uh, KHC and um, dividend, where where is it the best place to hold a dividend-paying stock? Is it in, uh, like, a taxable account, or is it in a, in a non-taxable account, an IRA account? Or, you know what I mean? Yes, I do. That's a good question, Mark. So investing in the market, you know, you may have a personal account that's taxable, and you may have an IRA or a Roth IRA that's not taxable. So he's asking, you know, if I buy in stocks to pay dividends, would it be smarter to have it in a non-taxable account or a taxable account? And I answer that question this way. If you're going to be a trader or if you're going to be active, you want to make sure you have your active account in the non-taxable account, okay, because you don't want to pay capital gains taxes. You're trying to avoid capital gains. That's a, I'm assuming you're going to have capital gains. You buy stocks low and sell them high, you'll probably have capital gains. Or if you hold on to them for a long period of time, they appreciate, you'll have capital gains. So when it comes to dividends, I, you know, it'd be nicer to have it in a non-taxable account, but generally when you have dividend-paying stocks, those are the big blue-chip stocks that you hold on for a very long time. So you're not trading them usually because they pay really high dividends and you want to hold them for a dividend. So uh, if if you have, if your mentality is I'm going to hold no matter what account, I'm going to hold on things for long periods of time, 
then you would put the dividend payers in your non-taxable accounts. If you have a portion of your portfolio that you're going to, like blue chip stocks, I'm going to leave alone, and then these stocks, you know, I may trade out of them, I may trade in them, that trading account should be in your non-taxable account. So non-trading account would be preferable, if you're going to have both, would be preferable in your taxable account. hope that made sense to you. So it really depends on you. If you have two sets of ways you're going to do things, and a lot of people do. These are stocks I'm not going to touch. These are my big blue chimps stocks I'm going to hold on to and collect the dividends. And over time, they'll go up. But here's my more risky kind of stocks. Well, the more risky you put in the non-taxable account to avoid capital gains. Because if they're risky, they can shoot up and you have huge capital gains if you sell them. Well, you want to avoid the capital gains tax if you can. Okay? You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now. to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though 888-99 chart 888-99 C H A R T and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, my name is Katie. I'm new to investing. I've been doing it since August and my question is, when do I know the right time to take profits? I would appreciate any advice on guidelines or principles I should follow as far as when to sell because I do want to keep all the gains and I want the potential gains and I also don't want to lose what I have. So thank you. Well, this is the age-old question, the most difficult question most investors have. Buying is easy. Selling is the hard part. And the reason it's hard for most people is because they don't have a plan. So first is when you buy a name, you need to have a target price, an idea of what you think the company is worth. And then you need to be monitoring the company and seeing if changes in their business, changes in the underlying economy are changing your potential valuation, not just because the stock moved higher or lower, but because there's actually changes in the business. Okay. So that's first is having a target price and then updating that target price regularly. And when it gets to that price, you need to have the discipline to rebalance. Maybe bring, if you're up on it, bring it back down to a reasonable percentage of your portfolio, a, a, a target level. And that goes back to the second thing, which is asset allocation. You need to have a plan for your portfolio. You need to know I want to have X amount in this sector, X amount in that sector because of some underlying economic conditions. For example, if you think the economy is going to get stronger, remain strong, you're going to be want, be want to be invested in more cyclical names. You need to have exposure to more cyclical parts of the market, industrials, financials, consumer cyclicals, commodities. If you are unsure about the, the economy, you think it's going to slow, well, then you want to be in REITs and utilities, uh, maybe more medical companies, things like that. And you need to understand 
a broad asset allocation strategy and implement it. So when it goes to selling, you have to don't look at it in and of itself always, but also the bigger picture. So you have to look at it from two perspectives, your broad asset allocation and then your target value and goal for that particular stock. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. I'm about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. Steve and Justin are fearless, so don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Morning, Ron. Calling from Campbell, California. I enjoy your program. I have quite a bit of experience with covered calls. However, I find the uh, safe stocks that I have usually have a very low income potential from the covered call. Just wondering if there's a resource that, where I can find a list of more lucrative calls. Thanks. Yeah, a covered call strategy is where you own the stock, the underlying stock, and you sell options on it. It's called covered calls because you own the stock. You can do naked calls, meaning you don't own the stock, underlying stock, but that's a whole different thing. Um, covered call strategy, you're asking if there's better places so you can have better spreads and get better pricing for the covered calls, and the answer is not really. Uh, you know, if, if you're... A professional like us, you will get a little bit better quotes, okay, for the covered call strategy, selling the calls. But, you know, there's no real – if you have a ton of money, you can call up your broker and say, hey, I want some better access. And, you know, as long as you – because it takes money. It takes money because it's got to be worth their while. Us individuals, small people – they don't really want to bother, be bothered with you. They don't make enough money on us. Uh, hello, Invest Talk. My name's Enrique from San Diego. My question is, if I give my two weeks notice at my job and I have a Roth 401k at my, at my current job right now, but it should take me about two to three months, possibly max six months to find another job similar to the one I currently have, should I roll over my 401k to my Roth IRA? Or just leave it hanging there till I find a new job and roll it over to that 401k there. I look forward to your answer on the podcast. Thank you very much. I would, if I was given those two choices, I'd roll it over into my Roth IRA. I wouldn't roll it into the new uh, Roth 401k. First of all, you don't know if your new employer will offer a Roth 401k or even a 401k. You're not sure. You don't know. They, they don't have to, you know. It's not a, it's not a must. It's a benefit that they can offer. Uh, but I'd rather see you have the money in your Roth IRA. Roll it into that because you have a lot more freedom to do what you want with the money. You can invest it any way you want. You know, you can hire someone like me or not. And you can buy anything. You're not stuck with uh, many times those those 401ks are li limit you to your choices. Some of them don't because some of them you can open up a uh, – uh, managed account inside the, the 401k. Depends on how the employer sets up these things. It's not too common, but we I do it for my employees. So that's what I would do. I'd roll it into the Roth IRA, and then you could pick whatever you want. You don't have to worry about whether they're going to offer one at your new job or how long it takes to get the new job.
Appreciate the call. Good question. Our Invest Talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Let's go back to the Invest Talk voice bank for a question that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Steve. This is Matt from Miami, Florida. I just had a question regarding Ethereum, one of the cryptocurrencies that is currently on the market. I would like to make my portfolio about 5% cryptocurrency, and I was just thinking about doing a little dollar-cost averaging of Ethereum, where I put about $50 to $100 in per week. I just was curious, as this is one of the more up-and-coming currencies, and I think it will overtake Bitcoin likely on the market in the next year or so. Let me know what your, some of your thoughts are, and thank you very much for what you guys do. Have a great day. Well, dollar-cost averaging is probably a good way to get into the space because there's going to be a lot of volatility, and you consistently buying into it, uh, whether it's up or down, uh, is going to weed out a lot of the emotions. Now, the question is whether Ethereum is the best one to get into. I do think there are a lot of uh, good applications built on top of it. But remember, this is the very early days. And there are uh, other competitors, Solana, for example, uh, a lot of other cryptocurrencies out there, uh, a lot of other platforms out there that may overtake Ethereum, depending on what type of applications are built on top of Ethereum. on top of it. Um, So we're also headed into, once again, a year of 2020 that's likely to have lower liquidity, higher inflation, uh, but, or or, sorry, elevated inflation, uh, but liquidity conditions that are not nearly as loose. And I think crypto is going to be one of the first places to sell off big time. I know you probably say, oh, well, the, the market sold off. Uh, and you haven't seen a big drop in the cryptocurrencies. Well, Ethereum's down 3% today. So, you know, this is a very difficult sector to really predict uh, what's going to be the next up-and-comer, which one's going to be the next one to crash. Um, And we're decades away from really understanding what this whole space is going to look like. You're in the very, very early days. And... So if it's 5% of your portfolio, I think it's a little heavy uh, on the crypto side. I probably have it closer to 2 or 3%. But if you're looking to dollar cost average in, uh, I think that's a good strategy within this space. When people take time to, to time out of their busy day and leave a InvestDog podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them with a quick courtesy answer to a question they may have. So here's a question from iTunes reviewers, Randall1951. I'm using the dividend dividend kings as a guide to buying a good dividend stocks. I don't have a lot of free time to research. Is this a good approach? Why or why not? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I like dividend achievers better than dividend kings. Dividend achievers gives you a lot more information and a very easy and quick way to review. And they give you 
different dividend stocks over different periods of time. How they give you dividend stocks that have always increased their dividends every year for the last 10, 20, 30, 50 years. Our dividend stocks have always paid a dividend since, you know, on and on and on. And I like it because it's more in-depth and more thorough. So it's called Dividend Achievers. They come out with a book every couple of years, I think. Yeah, but I, I would suggest take a look at that. Okay? Good. Thank you for the question. This is Invest Talk. You can get your free Invest Talk podcast downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or investtalk.com. I am a big fan of your podcast, and I just got started with it. Be sure to tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk and encourage them to listen, rate, and review. The Anytime Listener lines never close. Steve and Justin are waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin. This is Bob from Ohio. What's the best way to gain exposure to the downside of the market without physically shorting the stock? Would you recommend like selling calls or would you recommend buying puts or buying an inverse ETF? What do you recommend? I'm a fairly new investor, so I appreciate it. Your show's great. I listen to it every day. Thank you very much. Well, if you are looking to capture the downside of the market and you're a fairly new investor, I think the simplest way is to buy a single levered, not the levered uh, inverse ETFs, but the single levered uh, ETFs where uh, you're just going to get the inverse of whatever the market is going to do. So if the market's going to go down, then this is going to go up. And there are, there are ones tracking the S&P and the NASDAQ and the Russell and, and many other the, of the large indices. So that's what I would go with. Uh, options as a beginning investor, uh, too, too risky. You really have to understand the ins and outs for you to be successful. Um, if you were to do it, it'd be probably buying just straight up puts. I wouldn't sell calls, especially in this market with gamma squeezes and all that. Uh, but, but buying a put and limiting your risk would, would probably be the next best thing. But as a new investor, that's probably not the way that you should go. Hi, Steve and Justin. Steve Oger calling from New Hampshire. Football as well. Just a real quick question for you. I am investing currently in my 401k with the Roth component as well as individual Roth IRA. Starting on me now, what happens to my contribution amount if I'm contributing the max in my regular, I guess, individual Roth IRA, but also contributing in my 401k? I would imagine that it would be separate, but I just want to confirm that I'm not doing something I shouldn't be. I really appreciate the um, information. I look forward to the answer on the podcast. Thanks. Yes, they are separate. The Roth 401k is uh, similar to the traditional 401k when it comes to limits. And then your IRA, whether it's a Roth or traditional, is, is also separate. So now your your Roth is going to have some contribution limits. Uh, or Sorry, some con- yeah, con- obviously contribution limits, but income limits, excuse me, uh, where it's phased out on your ability to uh, contribute to the Roth IRA. But uh, that's something that you you have to consider. And obviously, I don't know your uh, your income limits, something to talk to your CPA about. And remember, with all these contributions to retirement accounts, it's always in context to your own personal situation, your tax situation. And you always want to consult with a tax professional because your situation is is siloed. Nobody has your exact situation when it comes to income, place you're living, demands, et cetera, and, and goals. Okay. So thanks for the call and great question. Let's go to Carl in Oceanside and wants to talk about I bonds. Yes, I bonds. 
the day I spoke with the banker, and he told me there's something new about the I-bonds. Okay. He said, if I invest $5,000 in such an I-bond certificate that pays 7.12% interest, to me, that is um, very high interest. And then he said, if I go on the internet, I can buy each year $10,000 I-bond only one time each year. Yes. I'm wondering 7.12. Did you hear anything like that? Yes, he's correct. If you go online, you can buy $10,000 a year. But what you have to understand, that 7.12% is not fixed. That's what it currently is yielding. But that is going to be reset. Okay, It's reset twice a year based on the inflation rate. Uh So understand that, that this is not 7.12% for the life of the bond. This is currently... 7.12%. 7.12%. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's so uh, if inflation year, moderates, that's likely to come down. And you also have to understand these aren't liquid. So you can't go sell them in a month or two. You have to hold them for a long period of time. And if the uh, interest rate comes back down, you might be disappointed with what interest rate that it does pay. So you have to understand that that, that high rate can go both ways. But if the inflation goes higher, then the, the interest should be also higher. Yes. It has correlation to uh, overall inflation. I do think inflation will remain elevated than from what we've seen over the last couple of decades. I think it's going to average closer to 4% versus you know 1% to 2%. So 7.12 is probably a bit aggressive. I think uh, this will also moderate back down to kind of a 4% uh, return. Understand that and understand how, uh, how illiquid it might be, what you might have to give up to, to sell it. And if you're okay with that, having a portion of your portfolio in it is not a bad idea. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, it's Steve or Justin. My name's Eric, and I've been listening to your show for about a year now, and I've really learned a lot. I thank you for that. And I was wondering if sometime on the program you could talk a little bit about SPACs or special purpose acquisition companies. I guess specifically what I'm wondering is how... Do these compare to like a traditional IPO as far as are they more risky, less risky? And I know you've talked in the past about not investing in an IPO until it's been out for at least six months for the insiders to kind of get out and prices to regulate or whatever. Do you have any kind of general guidelines for companies that become public through the SPAC? Thank you, and I'll listen for your answer. Great question. Now, SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. What it does is it raises capital, maybe a few billion dollars, and the idea is to go out and buy another company, buy an actual company. The SPAC doesn't have initially any company in it. It's just a an asset uh, with cash. And then they use that cash to go make an acquisition. And oftentimes the price of that SPAC will pop dramatically. 
And this all has to do, it's financial engineering. They're limiting the supply of shares that are out there, right? Because the owners of that SPAC, owners of the shares, typically are closely held. So when the supply of shares are very, very low and they go make an acquisition and he wants to buy into that acquisition, they're chasing after a very select few number of shares and that really explodes the value of that SPAC. So, you know, if you want to play that, that game, that, that financial engineering game that a SPAC does, then that's, that, that's fine. Um, but it's also very risky. They might make a poor acquisition. They may not keep as many shares held to the vest as they had hoped. Uh, there are a lot of risks to it. Uh, but it's definitely not an investment vehicle. It's a speculative vehicle only. Our Invest Talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Jay Clark calling from Chicago again. Just had a question about commodities in general. You see the gold mini shares. You see the gold directions, the, the three times leverage, you know, all type of different types of commodity holdings. Just wanted you to explain, you know, the differences between those different type of commodity holdings and what they mean to us as investors. I um, hope to hear it on the show. Thank you. All right. Well, commodities can be broken up in a lot of different ways. You have your energy commodities, right? Your oil, coal, natural gas. You have your soft commodities. You're talking about sugar, grain, corn, etc. You also have your precious metal commodities, your gold, your silver, your platinum, etc. So they all have very different use cases, very different properties, and they act very different in their price action in the marketplace. When you have a tough economic environment like right now, you're going to see the energy commodities do much worse and the precious metal commodities do much better. Now, you can invest in ETFs that track particular prices of those different commodities or a basket of commodities. That's one way to gain access. You can also own the individual companies who mine, produce those type of commodities. right? Or you can buy an ETF that owns a lot of the companies and you get broad diversification like a GDX owns a bunch of gold miners or you can invest in ETFs that are leveraged and then that is a speculative vehicle of, to, to help capitalize on the movement of the underlying commodity or the shares of the companies who produce that underlying commodity. So all of them have different risk factors. Uh, I think the, the lowest risk is going to be the actual commodity because it's a direct link. A little bit higher risk would be investing in directly in the companies that produce them. There's a little more leverage typically to those prices, right? Where gold miners, for example, typically have a two and a half to three times the overall volatility of gold prices. So if gold prices do well, you're probably going to do much better in individual gold mining names. But you have to pick the right ones as well. So if you don't have the expertise to understand which ones to pick, then you want to buy an overall ETF and you get broad diversification. If you have a very strong conviction, you could buy a leverage ETF to the shares or the underlying gold price or commodity price, whatever you're looking at, and 
use it as a trade, but you wouldn't want to own those and hold them long term. Hope that helps. Before we go, you can see more about today's topic. Go to investtalk.com. You want to contact me directly? Easy. Leave a message in the machine or go to investtalk.com. I'm money manager Steve Peasley, and I want to thank you for listening. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein, chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.